1: apartments.com apartments.com the place to find a place bada bing welcome to this week's minnesota rotten mango i'm your host stephanie sue and welcome to part two Of Erica and Benjamin Sifrit, the Hooters Killers couple. Just to give you a quick refresher, in part one, we talked about Erica and Benjamin. Erica is daddy's little girl. She's got severe problems with her insecurities, possessiveness, drug abuse, anxiety disorders, OCD, as well as this intense need to want to control her husband. BJ, her husband, is indeed very hard to control. He is an ex-Navy SEAL. That got kicked out essentially for trying to injure his fellow comrades. Like he tried to run them over with his car. He also can't get an erection unless he's thrill-seeking. He will literally rob a Hooters and then masturbate right after because that's the only thing that gets him off. The couple rarely have sex because BJ's just not that into it. So the two of them, they get married within three weeks of knowing each other, which is kind of crazy if you ask me, and boom, They have two pet snakes named Bonnie and Clyde. They've got a cobra named Hitler after their role model. So you really know where this episode's going. They're racist. They're unpredictable. They're angry. And it's hard to understand who's the one in charge. Erica is unreliable. And she's wanting everyone to believe that she's just this small little girl bullied by her ex Navy SEAL husband. But I want to say more clues point to the fact that she might be the one in charge. Like she might be the one calling the shots. Whatever the case, both of them are incredibly dangerous, sadistic, and homicidal. So now the couple, they're on vacation in Ocean City, Maryland. They're abusing drugs, getting drunk. They meet this really nice couple in the bar named Joshua and Jeannie. Josh and Jeannie actually paid for Erica and BJ's bus fare because they didn't have it. And BJ and Erica, they thank them by inviting them over to their penthouse suite in the rainbow condos and promptly accuse them of stealing Erica's purse along with 200 pills of Xanax, a $15,000 yellow diamond, amongst other things. Which, I mean, this doesn't make sense at all. Because this couple, Josh and Jeannie, they have been nice to them all night long. They're not the type. But more importantly, Josh and Jeannie's stuff was searched and Erica's purse, which is a pretty big bag, was nowhere near on them. I mean, BJ even made the couple strip down naked to prove that they stole it, but they couldn't find Erica's things. It's pretty clear to every single person in that room, even at the time that this is happening, that Josh and Jeannie did not take Erica's purse. So regardless, BJ takes Erica's gun, orders the couple to get naked, and then has them run into the bathroom. Josh and Jeannie manage to run in there and slam the door shut and lock the bathroom door, preventing BJ and Erica from entering. BJ's on the other side of this bathroom door trying to cajole them into coming out. He's like, come out, it's okay, let's talk about it. I'll put the gun away. Erica runs downstairs. She said that she was freaking out. Allegedly. And if you guys remember part one, Erica is not the most trustworthy person. So it's, it's, I don't even trust her with her own emotions. She said she was freaking out allegedly and is trying to find her purse so that BJ can calm the fork down. She said she knew that something bad was going to happen because she could see it in his eyes, which to me is confusing because she's the one that instigated the whole thing. Remember, she's like, BJ, my purse is gone. My stuff is gone. What are we going to do? All my cash is gone. My pills. And he got so riled up, he whipped out her gun. But as she's downstairs, she's suddenly claiming, oh, I'm so panicked. I need to de-escalate the situation. I need to be the freaking peacemaker or something. And while she's searching for her purse, she hears boom, boom. She knew what the sounds were. I mean, they were gunshots. So she runs back upstairs and welcome to version one of Erica's story. This is the first time she tells it. She said she runs upstairs screaming at BJ. No, no, no. What the fuck did you just do? And BJ's trying to kick the door open, shooting through it, trying to kill Josh and Jeannie. And she claims BJ was aroused by the fact that Josh and Jeannie were in there begging for their lives. Something about their screams were turning on her husband. I mean, their pleas, their begging for, you know, survival was something that BJ was just so into. He couldn't get enough of it. Now, it's said at this point, Josh and Jeannie managed to open the bathroom window and they're screaming, help us, help us out the window. It's 3 a.m. Nobody's listening. They're just trying to get somebody's attention. BJ seemed like he almost wanted Erica's approval before he did something. Or maybe he wanted the decision to be theirs. Do you know what I mean? Where you're committing a crime. You don't want to be the only one. So you're kind of roping everyone in. You're like, no, Stephanie, I don't know what you mean. I don't commit crimes. You're roping everyone. And you're like, we should do this, right? Like, I don't want to be the only one that makes this decision. So maybe it's that. Or maybe she's the one pulling the strings. It's hard to say. Because he leans on the door. And allegedly he says, hey, I'm just going to fucking waste them. Is that Okay. So I don't know if you guys play like Grand Theft Auto, but I think waste them is just a really weird Mm. way of saying kill them. I see. Like a really disgusting, and I'm not saying video games are linked to violence, but I'm just saying that's the only place I've really heard it. So he's like, I'm just going to fucking waste them. Is that okay? Is that okay with you? To which Erica, this two seconds ago, she was screaming downstairs because I need to find my purse and I need to be the peacemaker. Two seconds ago, she looks at him and responds, just fucking do it. She was nonchalant. She said, you got them fucking naked. You put a gun to their heads. Just fucking do it then. Get it over with.
0: And that's her story? Yeah. She told it like that? What?
1: So it's implying that they're already in trouble anyway. I mean, I mean, what? (laughs) Obviously, neither of them makes sense. But this is just, obviously, you deserve prison time for what you've done so far. But no, that doesn't mean you might as well, might as well commit a double homicide. That's not what that means. Erica, at this point, had already called nine one one. According to their timelines, which a quick refresher from part one, she made a series of bizarre phone calls to nine one one, where she said, "Hey, I think a robbery is going to happen," but she's she claims she's scared. She claims she's hiding, but she's not whispering. She actually doesn't sound scared at all. She seems calm and not that bothered. So they've already called the police. The couple believe the cops are already on their way. Why not just kill them? Finish the job. Get it over with. The police are already going to be mad at us. It's these little details that make everyone believe that Erica was actually the dominant one in the relationship. I mean, this is all speculation, but it feels like to a lot of people... She's quietly pulling the strings no, and she's pushing BJ to give the reaction that she's looking for. But later, she's going to describe every single situation as if BJ is the dominant one and he's abusing her and bossing her around. Ooh, ex-Navy SEAL. So real quick on why Erica's version of events don't make any sense. Erica's fingerprints were found on the outer glass of the bathroom window. Wait, what? Yeah, so the window could be accessed from the balcony Um, The balcony ends before the bathroom window So you can't like climb out onto the balcony Does that make sense? So imagine the balcony Mm -hmm. And right next to it is the bathroom window But the balcony does not extend under the bathroom window Uh So she can lean over the balcony railing And start looking through the bathroom window
0: Uh And her
1: fingerprints were found on the outer glass of that bathroom window
0: That means what? She's leaning over to the
1: handrail To peek through the window Why would she do that?
0: To see if they're dead
1: Or the police theory was that Erica's outside Peeping through the bathroom window Telling BJ where to shoot through the door So the bathroom is pretty big It's not a powder room It's not just like a straight linear, you know, section It's Uh got a hot tub in there It's like a double vanity It's a relatively big bathroom So you're gonna need some guidance If you're just shooting blindly through the door
0: Oh my gosh
1: So BJ's just shooting through the door, trying to hit Josh and Jeannie. Erica is most likely looking through the window, guiding him. I mean, that's what the police think. But then cue the record scratch. Forget everything we just talked about because Erica has a new story to tell. Welcome to version two. In version two, everything is a bit different because Erica claims BJ has been waiting for this moment. Oh yeah, he's been talking about wanting to kill someone for a while now. I mean, just two weeks before their vacation, BJ came out to me and he said, hey babe, random question, can I kill your entire family? And Erica obviously was like, let me think about it. <laughs> no, I don't know what she said. I'm hoping she said no, but I won't put anything past her. BJ allegedly told her he wanted to kill her. Her parents, her grandparents, and her wealthy aunt. Then, Erica would inherit all their wealth. She had no cousins, no siblings. All their money would be hers. BJ and Erica would fly to Argentina to be with each other again, and they'd be filthy rich. Obviously, that didn't happen. And now, here they are, standing outside the bathroom door with Josh and Jeannie on the other side. Now, here's the thing. BJ could have easily kicked the door down. I mean, how many times did I say ex-Navy SEAL? And you can't even kick down an interior door? That makes no sense. According to Erica, he didn't want to. He wanted to prolong the joy. He was playing a game. He was living this thrill. He could hear Josh banging from the other side. Why are you doing this? He was screaming. And BJ got up close, put his ear near the door, listened leaned back and fired the gun where he assumed Josh was. And then he immediately backed away and with all his might, he kicked the door open with so much force that BJ himself fell back. The door flung open and the handle broke off like it literally was broken off the freaking frames, the bolts. Jeannie was in there screaming and Josh was quiet. He had been shot through the door. So BJ walks in, points the gun at Josh's head. And says, now are you going to tell me where our shit is? Josh, like I said, is this, you know, he has a black belt in karate. He's this ex-army guy. He's honestly a really nice person in his free time. He just, he counsels kids. Like he teaches kids karate. And now he's, he's got a gun up to his, like he's not a thief. What are you even saying? And he's in all this pain. He's rapidly losing blood. And at first he can't even answer. But soon he musters enough strength to say, I was in the army you're in the Navy, man. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to us? Erica said BJ squatted down, got directly in front of Josh's face like a drill sergeant and said, see you later, motherfucker, and shot him. Josh slumped over and he was dead. If you're not already angry and emotional from this, Erica would later say, and this is going to piss you off because I, the, the rage is going to boil in your body. She said... I felt sad that Josh was dead because he was cute. I was sort of hoping something did happen at secrets that night in the bathroom. I wonder if Josh was Jewish because BJ doesn't like insert aggressive racial racial slur or Jewish people. But she said it more derogatory or people with diseases. He believes every single slur that offends everyone across the globe and people with cancer are polluting the gene pool. But I guess in the moment, Erica felt something about the murders because she claimed she peed her pants and left the room. She didn't want to witness the rest of what was going to happen. She kept referring to it as the killings. BJ walked out of the bathroom, flexed his muscles like a bodybuilder, yelling and laughing. And so Erica is looking at this and she said he's covered in blood. He looked like it was on purpose, like he grabbed blood with his hand and just smeared it all over his body. It wasn't from the splatter of the gunshot. It seemed... It seemed like he did it at this point. Jeannie's still alive in the bathroom. So BJ runs back in excitedly is how Erica describes it. Almost skipping, almost hopping in there. And he says, Hey, hey, Erica, come in here. Come in here. She said she didn't want to go, but she had to. So she reluctantly peeks inside the bathroom and she sees Josh has blood coming out of his mouth. It was almost like this gurgling of blood. And she claimed she was in shock. She runs back out and she's like, I can't do this. And BJ runs out after her, grabs her arm, looks down and he notices that she wet her pants. And she says, well, he made fun of me. He said, you fucking pussy. You pissed your pants. Oh my God. You little bitch. Meanwhile, Jeannie is now curled up in a fetal position under the bathroom counter. I mean, Josh's body is in front of her almost as a shield. She's naked. She's whimpering. She's crying. She's scared for her life. BJ walks over in full view of Erica and fires a bullet. But he misses so this is weird. Keep in mind, BJ is a qualified expert marksman with high ranking in the military for shooting. Even amongst his Navy SEALs, he was known as exceptional for his ability to shoot. So now he's standing point blank range and misses. I think even someone who really doesn't know what they were doing with a gun would have, would have a really hard time missing a shot like that. And I'm not saying, oh, he missed the spot where he wanted to shoot Jeannie. He missed her completely. Like, that's weird. So there's two guesses, right? Is the first one is he's mentally torturing her. He wants her to feel the anxiety, feel the pure panic, the terror that would, I can't even imagine, right? The second guess is maybe he wasn't the one that shot. Maybe it was Erica. And because this is her version of events. She's not the one shooting. Okay. You know, it's fascinating. So it's either one. And I think both are horrendous. So Erica says, he fires again, holds the gun up to Jeannie's left shoulder and shoots down at her. There was blood everywhere, on the floor, all over the couple's bodies, the blinds were splattered with blood, the walls, the hot tub, everything had blood. Here's an odd thing to note though. The police later said that none of this made sense. There were zero traces of blood or even bleach on the carpets outside of the bathroom. I mean, think about it. If there's that much blood, you would think some of it would transfer to the adjacent bedroom because the minute that you step out of that bathroom, it's carpeting in the bedroom. Especially if you allegedly have Erica running in and out, BJ chasing her, making fun of her, wetting herself. I mean, my best guess is neither of them ever left the bathroom. So now Erica claims the bathroom is a bloodbath. The entire thing is filled with blood. So here are some key differences in version one. Version one, Erica says she felt like she was losing her mind. She said, I walked away, but I'm pretty certain somewhere at some time, at some point, BJ slit Jeannie's throat. But then in version two, Erica's like, well, he told me. He told me straight up, baby, open your knife like I taught you. Get down there and check to see if she's dead. I need to make sure she's dead. So get down there and make sure. Erica said she did as she was told. She opened up her knife, got down on one knee, and began cutting Jeannie deep, is how she put it. She said she cut Jeannie on the right side of her abdomen above her hip. And Jeannie started bleeding so profusely that the blood got all over Erica's clothes. But she kept going. Interestingly enough, even as Erica is describing version two, this, this graphic, bloody, brutal scene of her cutting into another woman for no reason at all, she showed zero emotion to the police. None. She never said, oh my god, I had to do it. I was forced to. He made me do it. She never said it was the worst thing ever. I felt so bad, but I was terrified for my own life. She just was emotionlessly telling it. She also ended it with, well, I thought Cheney was dead because she didn't move when I cut her. I mean, that's so strange. If somebody asked me to check if someone is dead, I don't think I would check by cutting into them. So she cuts into this other human being. She gets up and she's still worried about the damn freaking purse. I am sick of this. I am so sick of her. I'm so sick of her freaking purse. She's like, oh my God, where's my stuff? What do I do? BJ allegedly looked at her and calmly said with a little sly smile, look under the bed. Huh? Erica rushes out, seemingly not leaving another drop of blood on the carpet outside, lifts up the blanket, hanging over the edge of the bed. And there it was staring back at her, her missing purse. This is what Erica claims. She thinks BJ hid her stuff under the bed to mess with her, to insinuate that he probably did this so that the two of them could be so upset with Jeannie and Josh and try to kill them, which I don't know. To me, it's like, if hiding your purse makes you kill someone, that's a personal problem. That is not a purse problem. That's a you problem. But let's say that made sense. The rest of it doesn't make sense because the police investigated and you know how much space there was between the floor and the bed. It was half an inch, half an inch of space. (laughs) Half an inch. I mean, to the police, to a lot of people, it just seemed like Erica's making up whatever things come to mind to throw as much blame onto BJ as possible. So
0: they're saying it's almost impossible to hide it.
1: Yeah, it's almost it's literally physically impossible to hide your purse. And then right. second of all, you said that you were covered in blood, there was blood-soaked bathroom, you kept running in and out of there, you checked under the bed, you got no blood on the carpeting. Right. To so even check under the bed.
0: That was a made up story then.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not true. But she's trying to throw it onto BJF, like he hid my purse. He's the one that set this whole thing up. He's the one that put into motion all of these events. So now version one and version two of the rest of what happens remains pretty consistent. They're like, we need to get rid of the bodies. Holy shit. Uh, Erica said BJ ordered her. Bring me some garbage bags. He, this is how she describes it. She said that he was so pumped up. He was like yelling at her, barking orders. He was like, give me some garbage bags, you little pussy. Like just really jacked up. So she runs downstairs. Again, seemingly no blood anywhere. Brings the trash bags. And he looks at them and he looks at her and says, they're white, you stupid bitch. What am I going to do with white bags? They're fucking white. Go get me the black ones. So Erica's standing there covered in blood with her little urine patch. Cause you can see that she peed herself through her pants running up and down the penthouse. And now she's tasked with finding black garbage bags at four in the morning. She claims she really didn't want to do this. She said, beach, I don't want to leave. I can't leave. I'm too scared. I can't even drive right now. Please. I'm so scared. I don't want to leave. Go get some black garbage bags now.
0: She's leaving the apartment? Yeah.
1: She said it wasn't a choice. It was an order. So she drove to a local dollar store and found black garbage bags. Apparently, she went in with the same clothes covered in blood. The one that she peed herself in went to a dollar store that was apparently open all night. I mean, I get it. It's Ocean City, but it's a tourist spot. I still think it's highly unlikely. I mean, this isn't Vegas. Even in Vegas... I don't even know if dollar stores are open at 4 a.m. Maybe they are.
0: Yeah, but more importantly, you're yes. walking around with Ex- luck soaked clothes.
1: Exactly. So the idea that nobody, nobody said anything, nobody saw anything, nobody later reported. Oh my god, I saw this woman. Yeah. I mean, nothing. It's like 4 a.m. She said she comes back with these freaking garbage bags And I don't think that the police found any receipt I don't even think she gave them A specific dollar store that she went to She was like I don't know I was like losing my mind Obviously because of the murders. I was just driving around and I found a dollar store Anyways Erica's story continues as follows When she gets back BJ is butt ass naked He's holding two knives That she bought him for Valentine's Day He had gotten the bodies in the tub And he asked her Are these the first dead bodies you've ever seen why don't you take a minute look at it it's pretty sight ain't it just take a minute and look no no i'm going downstairs yeah it's probably better anyway because if the police come then you need to be down there and you need to distract them so they don't come upstairs erica claimed she knew what bj was about to do he was going to decapitate the victims I don't know how she knows this. I don't know if he told her. I don't know if he had talked about it before, but she Mm -hmm. said she knew. So she's like, I don't want to see the decapitation. I got to go. So she runs downstairs terrified and she claims that she sat there like a baby. She rocked herself back and forth, holding herself scared to death. I mean, again, very suspicious story. Erica said after comforting herself, she heard BJ scream her name. She runs up and BJ is standing there fully butt naked, holding two decapitated heads. Josh's detached head in one hand, Jeannie's detached head in the other. And the rest of their bodies were in the bathtub, the headless bodies. BJ's smiling and it was this evil, evil smile. And he says, Erica, will you take my picture? Get your camera and take my picture. I'd like to send this photo around to my buddies." Erica felt sick, so she claims. She said she screamed, you asshole, don't call me back up here again. Again, a very strange reaction to this type of of thing. BJ yelled after her, you baby, you big, big baby. I can't believe you're missing this. I can't believe you're not watching me do this right now. So Erika runs back downstairs and starts crying and comforting herself. She said she would occasionally go back up to check up on BJ. And he was smearing blood on the walls like he's an artist. Like, it's almost like she's describing these horror scenes. Every time she pops her head in, he's painting the walls with blood. And he's like, isn't that cool? It's like the movies. Then she'd go downstairs and then she'd come back upstairs. And suddenly he was dismembering people. Then she'd go downstairs and she told the police. That another time that she came back up, B.J. had taken Jeannie's head, inserted the water spout into her decapitated head, grabbed her headless corpse, and participated in necrophilia. She claims that he forced her to watch. So then she runs back downstairs, and he kept calling her back up. And in her version of offense, it just—it just seems like he's just doing so much things in the span of like a couple hours. Which I'm not doubting that these things didn't happen Or that they need to pay for every single crime that they committed I I am all on board on that But I'm just doubting that Erica wasn't involved to the degree that she claims To me that just doesn't make sense Mm Mm-hmm So she runs back up and she sees that BJ has completely dismembered the bodies. He's already placed the arms and the legs into the plastic bags and Jeannie's torso was in a bag, but he's struggling with Josh's torso. He's like, I need help. You need to help me put this in a garbage bag. And she's like, no way. I can't help you with that. Beach, do it yourself. I'm not touching that. So she watches BJ and I quote, pick it up like a sack of potatoes and place it in a garbage bag. That's what she said about Josh's torso. And while she's standing there, According to her, he walks over to a garbage bag, grabs a leg. You know how if you were to get a wooden board mm-hmm. and you're playing karate and uh, they, you kind of ram your knee through it to break the board in half? Yeah. He did that with his foot. So he kicked through this detached leg and he broke the bone in half like a piece of wood. That's what Erica claims. And he asked her, can we have this for dinner? What? I want you to cook this. No, no way. Erica said to her knowledge, BJ never cooked the body or drank any blood from the bodies. But it's just a really weird, like I can't imagine. Listen, I don't trust Erica for what it's worth, but I do feel like this is something that's so bizarre to make up. It would just be, it would just be weird. Mm -hmm. Who even makes this up? So anyways, BJ grabs his navy bags and they're made of canvas. They're larger in size and they're stronger than plastic. They need to put the trash bags in there so that nothing popped out, leaked or poked out. Because, you know, garbage bags. Imagine you sitting in a garbage bag like your limbs are going to bust open and it's going to fall out. So he's packing up the body parts into his ex-Navy bags, which is just terrifying to think that this is someone who was protecting our country at one point, and now he's killing citizens, just killing people. Erica said that she looked around the bathroom, and it was a horror movie. She couldn't walk anywhere without splashing blood. There were organs floating in the pool, inside the hot tub, in a pool of blood. Body parts all over the place. Blood on the walls, the blinds, the countertops, tissue, like... Not not actual tissue, but body tissue everywhere. Red everywhere. The sun is coming up. The red is shining brighter. And by now it's around six in the morning. They need to get all the body parts into the Jeep and they need to do it fast. They need to dump them in a grocery store. That's what BJ said. He said in high school, he used to work in a grocery store. And the dumpsters, they go to the landfills more frequently than other businesses. And you would expect a lot of scents coming from a grocery store dumpster. A lot of rotting food, rotting meats, a lot of flies, a lot of maggots. So they put them, the body parts, into the army bags. And then they had these big plastic storage tubs. You know the ones you get at the container store, or like Target? Which, who brings those around? That makes people feel like this was planned in the sense of, not specifically for Josh and Jeannie, but anyone that they could find. So they put the navy canvas bags into these storage containers and they need to get them into the Jeep without leaking any blood. BJ showers in the bathroom first and afterwards they haul everything into the car and they start to drive. Erica claims she passed out on the way to the first dump site. stores the dash pass practically pays for itself in two orders on average the math is mathing plus dash pass gives you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items and all of this for only 9.99 a month open the door to zero dollar delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else sign up for dash pass today only on DoorDash and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member subject to change terms apply When I was in high school, I had this ritual every day after coming home from school. I would grab a salty snack, sit down, watch my favorite mystery drama on TV. And recently I discovered the adult version of that, which at the end of the work day, I grab salt and vinegar chips, snuggle up on the couch and I play June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden objects mystery game that makes me feel like I'm living inside of a mystery TV show that is very immersive. You play as Detective June Parker and you just found out that your sister and husband were murdered. This is a fictional story. So you fly from London to New York to investigate, but the clues are just not adding up. So you get to go through these series of scenes from the mansion living room to a lavish garden to a 1920s style New York cafe. In each room, you have to find hidden objects that help you solve the mystery of your sister's death. And in the meantime, a whole lot of unexpected, just scandalous twists are going to happen. There's family secrets, danger, there's romance. I love traveling all over the world with June. Currently, i'm exploring paris in the 1920s because the game is set in the 1920s it just has the most aesthetic game design ever and it's so cozy whenever i need a break from the suspense i can pause the story and head over to my private island Yeah, they give you a private island and you get to customize it however you want for you. I love cottagecore mixed with that old money vibe with a huge mansion and a luxurious garden and even like this train rail. June's journey is the best way to unwind at the end of a long day or just to take a break in the middle of the day when I feel overwhelmed. I can escape all of my problems and turn into Detective June. Discover your inner detective when you download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android. She said she snorted so much Xanax throughout the night that she was knocked out. Okay, she, she had been up for 24 hours straight at this point. When she finally wakes up, the Jeep is parked. BJ is putting all the body parts into two different dumpsters. He even jumped into the dumpsters and smeared sloppy Joe Mix and other rotting foods all over the bags of the bodies, hoping it would disguise the smell and nobody would get curious enough to open it up and investigate. Erica said at one point BJ hissed at her, get your ass out of there and help me. She refused. She's like, nope, I'm going back to sleep. So she's, she's kind of explaining it as if like, aren't I an amazing person? I didn't even help. I don't know. It's worse. The fact that you can even sleep right now, that's, that's almost worse. So she goes back to sleep. When he's done, he jumps into the car and he's like, you know where we are? No, Delaware. I'll bring you back here tomorrow so we can go shopping. They've got some good outlets out here. At one point, BJ told her, I've never been that excited in my life. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Sexually, you know? So they get back to the condo and BJ takes a four-hour nap. And Erica, she'd already slept the entire car ride, so she's not sleepy. She's anxious. She's trying to clean what she can downstairs, but that that smell of blood was getting to her. She was feeling nauseous. She shook BJ awake. We need to clean now. It's starting to smell. You need to get the blood out of here. So BJ smoked the most productive drug in the world. Marijuana. Okay, and he went upstairs and he's not that in he's not in a rush at all. They still had another week left at the hotel. No need to be frantic. No need to freak out. We still got six whole days to clean the bathroom. Easy peasy. They had gotten rid of most of what Josh and Jeannie's things. But Erica wanted to keep a few things. Trophies, essentially their IDs, their social security cards. She claimed BJ wanted to keep a few things, too, like Josh's ring, which he put around a chain and gave to Erica to wear. So she wore Josh's ring like a necklace. He even allegedly dug out the bullet that he had killed Josh with so that he could save it. And it only gets worse because the cleanup process is not sick in the sense of, I'm sure there's a lot of cleanup, but sick in how they do everything. So they go to the hardware store and they start buying these supplies, which Erica complains about. Yeah, she's complaining. She's like, "The, the supplies were too heavy. BJ made me carry them up to the penthouse like he always does and she's saying this as if she's getting sympathy points from the police oh you know even with groceries he would just sit on the couch and I would have to bring them all in we threw bleach on the floor of the bathroom and it was so intense the smell of bleach that I threw up again there was still organ and tissue particles everywhere so I didn't want to help BJ you know this was all his doing I thought I should really work on my tan Back home, Erica would go to the tanning salon every single day. But the new, you know, but now the past 30 hours were so rough. Her tan was fading and the world was ending. So she went out onto the balcony to sunbathe. To sunbathe. She said it only took a few hours for BJ to clean the bathroom. And after sunbathing, when she walked in to check the progress, it only looked like somebody had a bloody nose or something. It didn't even compare to what happened. Which, side note, all the bloody Clorox wipes, the tissues, the body tissues, the organ pieces, they just threw it in trash bags and down the trash chute of the apartment. The next day, they go to Home Depot to get paint for the walls and the new bathroom door. And through all of this, Erica claims BJ forced her to take pictures of everything. And she was too scared to say no to him. He was just acting so crazy. Looking back, our little scrapbook queen documented everything, everything after the murders. Their trip to Home Depot, where they stopped to eat and drink. Even the remodel process. She documented everything they did together. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe that she was forced to take all these pictures. But she claimed, I was snorting so much Xanax, I was so scared of BJ. I just did everything I was told. I documented every little thing because I was scared he was going to kill me. But in all the photos, the two of them are just smiling, hugging, and kissing. There's even photos of Erica eating chicken wings, drinking beers, playing mini golf. A picture of Erica getting a tattoo of a cobra on her hip. The place where she made the first cut on Jeannie. She said that that was the only thing BJ really complimented her on. He always, you know, looked down on her and said that she was overweight, even though she was like 95 pounds said that she was fat and ugly and had weird hair, but he always complimented her on her tattoo. There's even a picture of Erica and BJ, each of them with a giant pile of crab legs in front of them. That photo was taken only 20 hours after the murders. In all the pictures you could see around Erica's neck was Josh's ring, which had a tiny little spot of blood on the inside. And in Erica's beloved, sacred purse, she kept Jeannie and Josh's IDs, as well as a bloody knife that she used to cut them. Erica said I had to do this for BJ because he loved me. He laid down with me at night. He worked with me. And, you know, why would anyone else want me? I didn't want to be alone. I didn't think anybody else would want me. So that's why. I mean, that's a horrible excuse. And you're a horrible person. Erica tried to explain that during the whole week, I was petrified of him. I didn't know day to day what was going to happen after that week. So, of course, everybody's got the burning question of why didn't Erica just leave? I mean, this sounds so dumb and so infuriating. Why did you not just leave? She had this to say. One time, BJ told me the true way to hurt someone. And it just stuck with me, Okay, He said, if you want to hurt someone or there's someone that you hate, you just go and kill their whole family so that they have to live without them. And he said that he was going to film it all. You film yourself like torturing their family and then you mail it to them. You mail them the tape. And they have to live with this and without their family forever. And they have to watch the way that their family died being tortured. So obviously, I was scared that BJ would torture my parents. And that's why I went to Secrets Bar. And that's why, you know, Secrets Bar, the place that Josh and Jeannie were there helping out the couple. And that's how they met. She said that's why she went back there to eat hot wings and crab legs and wore Josh's ring around her neck because she was so terrified. I mean, after the murders, the two of them are having a wild time in Ocean City. They're even kicked out of clubs for being so wild. Erica even waved her gun at the security guard when she was kicked out. She's screaming, spitting, shouting, I'll kill you. I'll fucking kill you. I'll kill you. She thought the whole ordeal was hilarious. She was laughing after being kicked out of secrets. And that's when the couple run into a guy named Todd. Todd was also drunk. And the three of them, they hit it off. They seem like old, long, last you know, long-lost friends, which is something that happens to everyone when they're drunk, it seems. And they're like, hey, Todd, want to go hit another bar? Here, follow us. We can drive. So the three of them, they pile into the Jeep, but on the way to the bar, the Jeep gets a flat tire because BJ is so freaking drunk. And he's like, oh, shoot, we got to put on the spare. I've got the spare in the trunk. We got to go do it. So the three of them are standing there with this spare tire on the side of the road, and they're all so drunk that they can't even put on the spare tire. So Todd's sitting there thinking really hard. We can't call the police. No, we can't. We can't call AAA. No, we cannot. Because we're not supposed to be drinking and driving. That'll get us in trouble. Okay, we can't ask for a friendly passerby. Because what if they see that we're drunk and we can't change the spare And then they're going to call the cops. Oh, everyone's just going to call the cops because we're drinking and driving. What's wrong with people? Wait, I remember. I have a close friend that lives nearby. Oh my God, I can just call her to come help me. So he calls his friend Karen. And she knew right off the bat that Todd was drunk. He's slurring his words. And Karen isn't really a partier like this. I mean, she was annoyed. But at the same time, she's thinking, if I don't help, my friend is just stranded. Like my drunk friend is just stranded. Okay, fine, I'll come. So she pulls up in her car next to the Jeep. And immediately, she's probably shaking her head. Todd, you are so freaking drunk. What the heck? He's not only slurring his words, but he's cross-eyed. He's stumbling. Karen sees the other couple with Todd and Erica, the woman. She was very drunk, too. She's giggling and stumbling all over the place with Todd. It seems like the two of them are some sort of like middle school kids drinking for the first time. Karen is so over it. BJ, the other couple, seems to be less drunk. I mean, I guess that's nice since he was the one driving, but he still seems pretty drunk. Karen helps BJ change the tires while Erica and Todd do nothing to assist. And they're just giggling. Hey, what's your name again? Karen. Well, thank you so much, Karen. Can we at least buy you a drink for helping us out? Please, I feel so bad. Sounds nice, right? But Karen just felt uneasy about the whole thing. It just felt off in some sort of way. She said it felt like BJ and Erica. They would seem completely out of it and drunk one second and stumbling and hee hee ha ha. And then the next moment, they would talk to each other very briefly, but it seemed completely coherent. She just felt unsettled. She just had this gut feeling something was wrong. That there was something crazy behind this couple's eyes. Um, sorry, I'd rather not, I'm pretty busy. Todd stumbled over, come on, Karen, let's just go get one drink, please, just one. Todd, you really don't need another drink, let's just go home, I'll take you home, Todd. No, please, Karen, let's just go with them. Even Erica and BJ are joining in on begging her, they kept saying things like, come on, just one drink, just one drink And Karen's annoyed But she felt like there was no getting out of it Okay fine Yeah just one drink Alright guys Alright Karen was anxious I mean it's past midnight now And she finds herself driving to a place called Fish tails For a freaking drink With these strangers and her drunk friend And the whole car right there She's thinking One drink And I'm freaking out of there I'm skedaddling
0: Are they sharing rides?
1: No So the jeep is going with the three And Karen's alone so at Fishtails, Karen said Erica whipped out her little camera and starts taking pictures of everyone. She was directing, come on, Karen, get in there with Todd and BJ so I can take your picture. Karen said at no time did it seem like BJ was insisting Erica take the photos. It seemed like Erica was doing it all on her own, directing everyone. She seemed eager to document the night. At one point, Karen noticed BJ had a bloody lip, some blood stains on his lower teeth and swelling near his chin. She didn't notice it earlier because it was, you know, it was dark fixing the flat tire. And now she's sitting across from him. Hey, what happened to you? Oh, um, this, I, I, hit my mouth on the steering wheel when we hit the curb and we got that flat tire. I was drunk. So, you know, I, I barely knew what I was going. Okay. Karen was so over it. I mean, she was so sick of these reckless, horrible people. Besides she was going to Hawaii in two days. She wanted to get out of there. She needed to pack. She needed to clean the house. She ordered a drink, but she didn't even touch it Instead, Todd ended up drinking her old glass Okay, well, you guys should probably call a taxi You guys are in no shape to drive Erica looked at her with a patty face Come with us then, you can drive us No, you guys should really call a taxi Please, uh, we're staying at the Rainbow Condo It's like five minutes away, please uh, Can you just follow us back to our condo?
0: Are they planning for another killing? It
1: seems like it, yeah So Karen wants to talk to BJ to see if he's in any shape to drive, which he wasn't. In fact, Erica seemed to be a lot more alert than him now. And he also sent this really cryptic message. He told Karen, I can't control Erica. And she thought it was so random. Like, what are you talking about? I'm just asking if you can drive to the condo. So she's like, okay, what, what, what does that have anything to do with this? Erica, my wife, I can't control that girl. If she wants to drive and she gets pulled over, my girl packs heat. Do you know what that means? Pete are you getting this she'll kill a cop Karen's eyes were wide like uh what she did not sign up for this she had no idea what type of people she was dealing with until just now and she's terrified she realized no matter what she said these people are going to drive back to the condo in their jeep and they are not to be reasoned with so all she could do was follow them and make sure they make it back without killing themselves or someone else So she agrees to follow the Jeep in her own car to the Rainbow condo. She's not agreeing to get out and go into the condo. Just make sure that they park safe. She could see BJ was driving or rather trying to drive because he's like swerving in and out of lanes, slowing down, speeding up, just bouncing the Jeep all over the road. They pull into the Rainbow parking lot, thankfully not killing anybody. And Karen briefly puts her car in park and she's debating if she should take Todd with her. But he's in the Jeep. So she's contemplating, okay, do I yell at Todd to get in my car and I can take him home? Do you think he'll call a taxi? I mean, she's thinking all these things. BJ runs up to her car window, taps. Uh, hey, please, can I get your help? Erica's totally out of it. And can you help me carry her upstairs, please? We're staying in the penthouse. If you could just help me get Erica into the stairwell and the elevator, that's it. That would be amazing. I mean, how do you refuse to help that? It's not like he's asking you to stay. It's a hard thing to say no to. At most, people are not thinking that these are murderers. They're just thinking, oh, God, what a messy couple. What a messy night. I don't like them. I never want to see them again. But how do you say no?
0: Yeah, and she seems just overly nice. Yeah,
1: she said she felt like she couldn't refuse to help. So she gets out, walks over to the couple's Jeep, opens up the door, and Erica's in the passenger seat, seemingly unconscious BJ tries to pick her up, but she slips from his grip and she bangs her head on the Jeep door. Karen's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to be careful. That's your wife, man. You're tossing her around like some rag doll. Karen said it didn't seem like BJ cared at all. He wasn't being careful about Erica's well-being or if he was hurting her, dropping her around, hitting her head, bonking her here. Either he really didn't give a fork or he didn't even notice what he was doing. God, and she's thinking, there's no way. There's no way all I have to do is help them to the elevator. I at least have to help BJ get Erica into the bed, into the condo. This is freaking annoying. Perhaps this was all BJ and Erica's plan. I mean, all things considered. Remember at Fishtails, Erica was the most conscious one and suddenly she's passed out. I I, I mean, I get it. Alcohol and drugs work in weird ways, but it's weird. BJ's also a really buff guy. Erica barely weighed 100 pounds. If he wanted, he could have picked her up in one arm, Karen in the other, regardless of how drunk he was. So BJ and Karen, they start carrying Erica into the lobby. Todd is stumbling about closely behind them, and he was probably in the worst shape. Yeah, worse than Erica. So they get all the way to the top floor penthouse. And when they get to the penthouse door, this is where it was shocking. Erica magically comes out of her drunken stumber, stands up on her own two feet, and starts rummaging through her purse looking for her keys. Excuse me what No way Like just immediately gets up From being blacked out By drugs and alcohol To standing up on her own Digging around in her purse As if she'd just been A learn and awake This whole time If you guys have ever been Super drunk That just doesn't happen Like that's bizarre So Karen's creeped out And shocked And almost like Oh my god What just happened mm-hmm. Erica finds her keys Inserts them into the keyhole On her first try Opens up the door, no problem. I mean, it was just so strange. Two seconds ago, she was dead weight and unconscious. And now she's leading them into the penthouse. She throws her purse on the table and heads to the laundry room to check up on the washing machine. Again, have you guys ever been super drunk? That's the last thing you're thinking about. And she's like, ah, BJ, the clothes are still soaking wet. You need to fix this. We need to finish the laundry. Karen and Todd didn't know that the washing machine was clogged by Jeannie and Josh's hair. Erica walks out of the laundry room, took Karen by the arm and starts showing her around like a tour guide, like a freaking realtor. I mean, Karen couldn't help but be impressed by the penthouse. It was beautiful. She had never been somewhere so luxurious. And as they're walking around, which Erica was walking normally now... Erica gave her a brief history of the building and bragged. You know, my dad um, built this building like he built part of it. And he made this penthouse just for me when I vacation. (laughs) She was beyond sober. She seemed like she didn't even take in a sip of alcohol the whole night. It was bizarre. It was strange. So at this point, BJ and Todd are drinking more beers on the kitchen table. Erica is leading Karen into the bedroom, going through her suitcase. Oh, and then this is my new bikini. Showing off her face. Oh, this is my gold necklace that my dad got me for, like, my senior graduation. It's a bit strange. She was just showing off random things. Oh, and I have this ring that my grandmother gave me. It's in my purse. It's beautiful. Let me just find it so I can... Wait, where's my purse? No. Erica's digging around, looking for her bag, but she couldn't find it. Karen was curious. The whole thing was weird. Karen remembered Erica throwing it on the table when they walked in. But maybe Erica had brought it into the upstairs bedroom. So Erica looks at Karen panicked. Look, we really need to find this purse. It's very important to me that we find this purse. My grandmother's ring is inside of it, okay? At this point, BJ notices that Erica's nervous and freaking out. Hey, babe, what's going on? BJ, we need to find my purse. These people, their IDs are in my purse. Karen had no idea what that even meant. She didn't really understand, but Erica was alluding to the fact that Josh and Jeannie's IDs were in her purse
0: But she sounded like she's actually frantic
1: She sounded actually frantic, but Karen said she didn't like it where it was going because she felt BJ and Erica had some sort of understanding Something that they knew that Todd and Karen didn't know It's almost like they were playing a game Mm -hmm. So Karen suggests, okay, let's spread out, let's look for the purse So they all start looking around the main floor of the condo, turning the pillows from the couch over, under the tables, in the kitchen, literally everywhere. Karen went to search the main bathroom when she noticed the bathroom door had been taken off its hinges and placed next to the door frame. And she ignored it. As she's walking past, she did a quick double take like, wait, does that door have bullet holes in it? No, that's that's probably something else. That would be crazy. Why would a door have bullet holes in it? She didn't think much of it. She continued searching for Erica's purse. BJ comes upstairs and suggests the two girls go down to the Jeep to look for the purse. I mean, Karen knew that the purse wasn't in the Jeep. She even said, no, but we couldn't have gotten into the condo without her keys, which were in her purse. I, I saw it. I'm not even drunk. I literally didn't even have a drink. But BJ kept insisting, go look for the purse. What? Okay, whatever. Fine. So Karen goes down there with Erica. And I mean, she knew it's not going to be in the car. Karen was freaking out being alone with Erica. I mean, I get it. It's stressful. But Erica was in this strange, almost possessed state, wildly running around, mumbling to herself, stressing to Karen nonstop at how nothing was as important as finding that purse. So after they can't find it in the Jeep, Karen knew they wouldn't. <laughs> they rush back upstairs. Karen's inner head alarms start going off. BJ is standing there. Cocky and peculiar. That's what she said. That's the best way she could describe it. As if he knew something that nobody else knew. So either Erica was putting on the show of her life or BJ messed with her like the previous time, like hiding her purse as Erica alleged. It was all so strange. Karen looked at BJ closer and she was terrified. She noticed he had a gun tucked in his pants. Now here's what's interesting. Karen is not the type of person where you could tell she's scared. Some people are like that. I'm a very outwardly expressive person, whereas my sister, if she's in pain or if she's scared, you won't know. She'll just be straight-faced. She won't look panicked, like her eyes won't be wide. She won't be super alert, like looking around. My sister is the type to kind of sit there and just observe. She almost gets more calm, and that's the type of person Karen was, and this is really important later. So she said nothing, even when she saw that gun. Instead, she just kept looking for the purse. BJ walks up to Karen while she's going through the couch cushions. He grabs her, spins her around, grabs her by the face with his big hands. And now they're nose to nose as if he's about to kiss her. Nothing was romantic about this, by the way. It was incredibly aggressive. And in a very flat tone, he said to her, It's very, very, very important that we find this purse. It's like he was trying to be as scary as possible. He was, he was stone cold sober. Karen got the message. The message was, Something very, very bad is going to happen if they don't find that purse. But Karen knew they wouldn't find it unless BJ wanted them to. That was the vibe she was getting. BJ was implying that Karen or Todd had stolen the purse. And Karen looked him in the eye and said, BJ, look, there's no reason for me to take her purse. I helped you put your car back on the road. I'm not a liar or a thief. And he looked at her and said, well, it's very important that we locate the purse. Nothing else matters at this point. So everyone keeps searching. BJ's getting angrier by the moment, stomping around, mumbling things to himself, making sure that Karen and Todd were well aware that he had a gun. In fact, he took it out and he never pointed it at them, but he would just kind of whip it around in the air, just kind of like wave it to point. Did you guys check over there? And he would point the gun to the bathroom. What about over there? And then to the opposite side. Todd was still drunk, but he was sober enough to realize that his life was at stake. So he's kind of clumsily stumbling around near Karen and staying quiet. Erica was rubbing her head, thinking, and not saying anything. Now, here's what's interesting. Erica knew exactly what happened just five nights ago with Josh and Jeannie when she, quote, lost her purse. And now the events were repeating. And BJ was working himself into a state, and she just stood there. She didn't say a word. She didn't try to de-escalate the situation.
0: But it started with her.
1: Yes, she starts it all. So
0: she knows what's going on. Exactly.
1: Like, if that were me, and that happened... I would just never mention a lost purse ever again.
0: Yeah, but, but that's why this leads me to think that exactly. she's the one that wanted them to exactly. be. Exactly,
1: in that know. state. So BJ turns to Karen and Todd angry and says, if you're ripping us off, we've had other people try ripping us off. If you've ripped us off like the other people who were here, I'll do the same damn thing to you that I did to them. And his eyes move across the room to the bathroom door that's off the hinges with the bullet holes. And he continues his speech. Those people were bad people. I'm ridding the earth of bad people. They came into my place and ripped me off. And no more will they do that. And he's waving his gun around. Everybody back downstairs to search. No. So they all run downstairs and they spread out. Karen was aware that at this point, Erica went into the bathroom by herself. So she follows her in there, hoping to talk to her about everything. Like woman to woman. Without BJ around, just her and Erica. So Karen walks in and tells Erica, Erica. And not emotional, very straightforward. Hey, I don't like to be around guns. They make me really uncomfortable. I'll do whatever I can to help you find your purse, but you're going to have to ask BJ to put that gun away. Erica stares at Karen and walks out. She didn't even acknowledge what Karen had just said. She pretended she didn't hear her. And in the living room, Erica looked at Karen, looked at BJ and said in the most whining, condescending voice, patronizing, really, BJ, can you put your gun away? It's scary. And then she started laughing.
0: Like she's making fun of. Karen.
1: Okay, so what the fork is that? Karen goes back to searching when she heard BJ say, oh, look what I found. Karen walked out and saw BJ push a cushion from the couch forward and pulled the purse out. She's like, that makes no sense. We searched that couch inside and out a million times. What the fork. But what does it matter as long as everything is fine now? audible now free for 30 days visit audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500, 500. that's audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500, 500 to try audible free for 30 days
2: Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash audio. Visit IXL.com slash audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
1: So everybody takes a break. They go out onto the balcony. The energy is a lot more calm. BJ sits down next to Karen and says, So why are you so afraid of guns? What? I mean, nobody likes a gun pointed at them. You know, it's pretty standard knowledge. And he laughed. Well, guns are portrayed as bad on TV, but most people don't even understand how they work. He took out his gun and he took it apart. And he was doing this as he's smoking some weed and Erica's snorting some Xanax. And Erica sits down on BJ's lap and he tells everyone in the room, well, we need to go have some sex now. Karen was ecstatic. (laughs) She jumped up. Well, that's my freaking cue. Do you want me to take Todd or you want me to leave him here? Erica's like, you can leave him here. And without even a goodbye, Karen's out. She's sick of this. I mean, bye. Just a few blocks away, though, she gets a call. It's Todd. Why did you leave me here? Todd, I'm going to freaking kill you. You were taking so long. I will pick me up. Okay, fine. But you have to meet me on the street. I'm not going back up there. So Karen turns around and finds Todd stumbling around. She gets him in the car. He knocks out, drops him off. She goes to Hawaii a few days later, and she had no idea what horror she nearly escaped that night. So why didn't the couple kill them? It's hard to say, but most people think, and I believe too, it's that Todd was too intoxicated to give them the reaction they wanted. He was so drunk, he wasn't outwardly showing that he was scared. He was aware that his life was at stake to a degree, but it wasn't really hitting him. He's just stumbling around like, guys, where's the booze? Oh, I can't find the purse. The purse is gone. And then Karen, she's outwardly a very stoic person. She's not showing the fear on her face. She's looking BJ in the eye saying, I don't really like this. I don't know where the freaking purse is. Like, let me help you find the purse. I didn't steal the purse. So there was just that building of excitement wasn't there for the couple.
0: Yeah 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 Like their motive is to get this reaction This
1: panicked fear from people Yeah Like a freak out But Karen and Todd were just not freaking out For them to feel turned off Or turned on enough to kill So it's about the game. I mean, it's really not about just having the opportunity. Because at that point, you know, Karen and Todd are in the hotel room. They're armed. They could easily take control of the situation.
0: Like they put on the whole show of find my purse, find the purse, is to get that reaction. Yeah,
1: and it's like that increase of suspense and torture for the victims. Because you're like, fuck, I need to find this purse. Where could the purse be? I don't know where the purse is. It's, It's not even my purse. Wednesday, May 29th, Jeannie fails to show up to work. And um, this is weird for everyone because Jeannie is super punctual. She's never late. She never misses a meeting. In fact, she's the one that scheduled a meeting for everyone that day. And she missed it without even a phone call. So her co-workers immediately call the Virginia State Police. The Ocean City Police drive to Atlantis condos where Josh and Jeannie were staying. And he saw Jeannie's car there. He just had this sinking feeling. He went into the couple's room and that sinking feeling was confirmed. Something very bad had happened. The room looked like someone just stepped out. Nothing was packed. Nothing was taken. Everything was organized. It looked like Josh and Jeannie went out for dinner and never came back. He noticed a receipt on the table for all the groceries the couple purchased. On Saturday, he checked the refrigerator. Everything was still there, unopened, unused. So nobody had been in the unit seemingly since Saturday. The police had no strong leads. They had no strong leads even two days later when they get a call. The local Hooters was being robbed. Yeah, if you remember for part one, Erica was a weird one. She had a lot of strange quirks, if you could call it that. She had an obsession with anything Hooters related. She loved their employee tank tops. She paid top dollar for them. She would rob retail stores, residential homes, ATMs, but her favorite was to rob Hooters gift shops. So the couple decide to rob an Ocean City Hooters. They set off the silent alarm. The police come. The couple are in the process of like taking mugs and shirts. And the police pull up and the two of them are arrested and BJ's trying to reason with the police like wait Why can't I just put the stuff back? I mean we stole it, but we didn't leave the property yet So if I just put it back, it means we didn't steal it anymore They're like, yeah, no, that's not how it works. They handcuff him. They find the gun in his butt crack The couple are a fan of sticking really powerful weapons in between their butt cheeks. So Erica knew that they were busted. She starts panicking. Officer, officer, I have anxiety problems. I haven't taken my meds and I need it. I need you to get it for me from my purse. Maybe she was having an anxiety attack. Maybe it was triggered from coming down from her Xanax and alcohol high. She kept screaming. I need my Xanax. I need it. It's in my purse. I take it twice a day. I need it. I had one this morning, but I missed my dose at night. Please, ma'am, please try to relax. No, I'm having a panic attack. I need it. I can't relax. The officer starts rummaging through Erica's purse. And inside, he finds four used bullet shells and one live round. That's odd. He keeps looking, but he doesn't find the pills. He finds a few IDs that don't belong to BJ or Erica. In fact, he knew these people. He had just been working on a missing persons case for Josh and Jeannie.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: And now here are their IDs. He also finds Jeannie and Josh's social security cards and the robbery quickly goes from a class A felony to murder charges. Honestly, if Erica never instructed the officer to get her medication, the case might never have been solved. The two of them are taken into questioning and Erica just denies it all. She's like, I don't know these people. Maybe my husband put their IDs in my purse. What would I know? Erica seemed to have an answer for everything. Albeit they were really dumb answers, but answers nonetheless. Meanwhile BJ refused to answer any questions and he just kept saying I don't know talk to my wife Which again leads everyone to believe that Erica was the one in charge So Erica panics and she tells the police okay I'll tell you guys everything if you drop the robbery charges Which sounds so dumb so you're gonna tell them everything about the murder you guys committed as long as you don't get in trouble for robbing a Hooters (laughs) I mean, she genuinely thought that she could dump all the blame on BJ and walk away from this whole ordeal with zero charges on her record. She pretty much told the police, well, she thought Jeannie and Josh stole her purse. BJ got mad, chopped them up, and disposed of their bodies. The police did not believe her. Her stories never made sense, and her body language was weird. I mean, no version of the story made any sense. So they tried to mess with her head, and they told her, well, your husband told us everything. We know the truth. We know you're lying. And instead of reacting like a normal person, which is what? What would he have possibly said? That's the freaking truth. I swear. She starts crying and asking them, do you like me? Do you like me? Do you think I'm pretty? Do you think I'm pretty? Do you like me?
0: No freaking way.
1: It was scary and bizarre. And she just kept talking and rambling and changing up her stories. In some version, she was downstairs and she didn't even witness the murders. And in the middle of her story, she would just be like, do you like me, though? Do you think I'm pretty, though? Yeah, because that's what matters right now, Erica. She would stop her story randomly to say things like, I played college basketball. Everybody loved me. Do you like me? The detective was so fed up, he asked, you know, all you've done is ask me if I like you and how pretty you are and talk about your college basketball days. I want to know, what do you think of yourself? Me? I'm a great person. Everybody likes me. Do you always try to do the right thing, Erica? Yes, always. So the police, they locate Jeannie and Josh's bodies in the landfills. And during all of this, you might think Erica's parents have finally woken up to the reality that their daughter is a horrendous monster. But no. In fact, they made it hard for the police to do their jobs. They took all of Erica's things, put them in a storage shed in Erica's grandma's property so it'd be harder for the police to get a warrant, which it was for the time being. The family also hired the best lawyer they could find. And finally, when the police are searching through Erica's stuff, Erica's dad panicked, quickly put something in his pocket. The officer's like, I freaking saw that. Give me that. What did you just do? It was a marijuana pipe and the police are sitting there dumbfounded. Like, are you not getting this? We are here searching for evidence of a double homicide. Do you think we give a shit about some pipe with pot residue in it? We're talking double homicide right now. So anyways, the couple, they were going to be tried separately for murder and they had two very different ways of going into trial. Erica's was just strange so she claimed that she kept having these daydreams of Josh. This is horrendous and I don't even know what to say. She told her attorney that she keeps having these daydreams where Josh is handsome and dressed well and he has this great body and he's a black belt in karate who's 30 years old and Josh wasn't dead in her daydreams. In fact, they were together as boyfriend and girlfriend. Jeannie and BJ were nowhere in the picture and life was great. She said she felt like she was in love with Joshua and wanted to be with him. She fixated on the fact that in her dreams, Josh kept calling her beautiful and looked at her in a way that BJ never looked at her. She had daydreams of Josh putting his hands all over her, dancing with her, telling her how pretty she was and how much she meant to him. She wrote about all of this while she was in prison for Josh and Jeannie's murder. It's so sick. I don't even know how to describe that. But eventually she moved on from fantasizing about dating the man she murdered into starting a pen pal correspondence with another inmate. And the letters were incredibly sexual. Like, this is what she's doing leading up to the murder trial. Erica considered the two of them to be dating. So let's call him Jimmy. That's a fake name. But she called him her Lava. A Lava. She wrote to him about how she had sex with about 25 men, but only made love with BJ. She was scared of not being able to satisfy Jimmy because he told her he had been with at least 2,000 women in his life. But Erica said she was not one to back down from a challenge and she was determined to at least give him paper sex. So like, I guess just write him nasty things. She signed off on the letters as your wifey. She said, Jimmy, you can have me for the rest of your life if you want. She wrote that he could insert nasty action with his chocolate insert nasty word, insert more nasty actions with her insert genitals anytime he pleases. It was really explicit. I mean, people are dead. And this is what she's writing while in prison waiting for trial. She talked about how she had taken on two guys at the same time in one night. And it was awesome. She said double penetration was great. She wrote to Jimmy about how small her insert word was and how the two of them were going to get a house on the beach and do it five to six times a day. She wrote in one, yes, I have a beautiful plump. It's sickening how I fantasize about you all day. I have a huge lips for you to suck on and then open them up with your fingers and it's always shaven clean. It's fresh P-U-S-S-Y. Do you get hard reading my letters? She wrote about how she writes them in her cell, squeezing her thighs together to feel her blank throbbing. She also ended it with, if you need cash, my parents will send it. She also had a nickname for Jimmy's private part. She called his genitals Mr. Chocolate. She said how she would love to tend to Mr. Chocolate 24-7 at his request, as long as he doesn't break my heart. Okay... (laughs) She wrote him little fantasies like role plays about how she would sneak into the locker room thinking it was empty, but she would forget something and Jimmy would be in the showers and you guessed it, nasty stuff happens. In another letter, she complained about how BJ had sex with Jeannie's decapitated headless body and told her that it was better than any sex that they ever had as a married couple. So BJ's trial starts first, and he testified. So he testified, and he mainly focused on the Navy, how during Navy SEAL training, you're brainwashed into becoming a robot, that you only perform the most gruesome, gory tasks without even batting an eye. He said that the Navy screwed him up. He never explicitly stated that SEAL training was the reason or for the fault of what happened, but it was heavily implied. So there's a lot of Navy SEALs out there that do everything in their power and literally do the most dangerous things in the world to protect us and our freedom. And this guy is like, yeah, that's the reason I killed people in a bathroom on vacation for no reason at all. He also stated how Erica was negatively impacting his career. She would always have breakdowns and stop eating and not being able to function and not go anywhere or do anything. Erica would later say it was BJ that made her starve, that he was the one that hated her being fat. He called her fat if She was ever over like 90 pounds, which was so bad. And how he would force her to take meth to suppress her hunger. But BJ said, no, it wasn't me. It was, she was the one that wanted to do all these things. I feel inclined to believe BJ on this one because even in Erica's letters to Jimmy in prison, she wrote about how she has no tolerance for, and I quote, fat people and fatness. She said, how can they stand the extra weight? I would never allow myself to get to that point. And then BJ dropped another bombshell in court. He said he wasn't there for the murders. So let me explain. It gets messy. So to preface, I think that they're both equally guilty of the murders. I mean, the domestic violence accusations. I, I also feel inclined to believe that they're both horrible to each other and horrible people in general. They're both guilty in my eyes. But BJ says, to jog your memory, after leaving secrets with Josh and Jeannie, they had to pick up the weed. In BJ's version, they were driving in the Jeep. So they all hop hop up in the car, drive to Atlanta's condos, pick up the weed. But all of them want to walk to Rainbow, the Rainbow condos on the beach because it'll be beautiful, it'll be scenic. But the Jeep just can't stay. So BJ offers, okay, I will drive and you three walk on the beach and I'll meet you guys there. BJ gets to the rainbow condos and he thinks he gets there first because he doesn't have a key and he decides to wait in the Jeep until everybody gets there. But he falls asleep. It's like 2 a.m. He said he honestly had no idea how long he slept. He just assumed he'd be woken up by them tapping on the window like 10 minutes later. But he later found out he was asleep for hours. He said he woke up to Erica tapping on the window. What? Well, what's going on? Where's Josh and Jeannie? Erica looked at him and said, We have to get out of here. What? Why? What's going on? We have to leave. Erica was calm, collected, not overly emotional. Come on, BJ, get up. We got to go. We have to leave. Why? What's wrong? We have a problem. BJ said he never saw Erica act this way, and he was confused and scared. Why? Why do we need to leave? I mean, she was making it clear that they not only had to leave the condo, but the state, like, leave the city, get the hell out ASAP. BJ was not getting it. And this sent Erica off into a panic. She started screaming, why weren't you there for me? Why weren't you there? I needed you. Why weren't you there? You weren't there. He's like, okay, I can't do this right now. I need to go upstairs and wash my face or something. So BJ said Erica hesitated, but she followed him up. He walks into the condo first. There's two dead people in the bathroom, Joshua Ford and Jeannie Crutchley. BJ told the jury he bent down and checked their pulses as he was taught in the Navy. He thought Josh was shot in the head and for Jeannie, he couldn't really tell. They were both covered in blood. He walked out, sat on the edge of the bed, dropped his head into his hands and began thinking, what do we do now? Two dead people. Obviously, my wife is responsible. What's the right thing to do? He said it was like 30 minutes of pure silence. He thought, either I can help my wife or I cannot help my wife and abandon her and go to the police. In the end, he chose to help his wife. He said he helped her in the only way that he claims he knows how to dispose of the dead bodies by dismembering them.
0: Did she actually take photo of him holding the No, oh. she
1: didn't But there was rumors because she claims he wanted it really badly
0: Oh, I see
1: This part is hard to believe because Erica is 100 pounds So you're telling me she over t- overpowered two people One of them who was ex-military Because remember, Josh used to be in the army He had a black belt in karate I mean, even if Erica was the only one with the gun It's hard to believe that she did this all on her own mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe she caught them by surprise But it still doesn't make sense
0: Yeah, because the second uh, girl, Karen, was she called to the court or? Yes, I believe so. But
1: it wasn't really related because.
0: Right. But I would believe her event of uh, her story. Which BJ is there. Yes, exactly. And the way that they treated them, I would say it's probably how they treated the other couple too, right? Yeah.
1: Agreed. So I think BJ was there. I don't think he was. So he's lying again. But according to the jurors, he seemed very credible. I know that doesn't mean he's necessarily telling the truth. It just means that he might believe his own lies or he's better at lying. Mm -hmm. So BJ was convicted of second degree murder in the death of Jeannie. Shockingly, he was cleared of all murder charges against Joshua Ford. I mean, it's shocking because it makes zero sense. If the jury believes part of BJ's story, which they apparently did, then they believe that he fell asleep in the Jeep and was woken up by Erica, his wife who killed the two people, right? But according to the jury, BJ is responsible for Jeannie's death in some way. So does that mean Jeannie was alive when he walked back up into the penthouse? So she just waited for 15 minutes while Erica ran down to get help? She was just waiting around to be killed? Or maybe she was too injured to run or call for help? I mean, it's a strange, strange conviction. So now it's Erica's turn. This starts June of 2003, her trial. Erica does not take the stand because her legal team realized she had already confessed to the police Various different versions even the fact that she told the police she told BJ to just fucking do it I mean if she took the stand It was the perfect opportunity for prosecutors to show off how much Erica lied The jury found Erica guilty of second-degree murder for Jeannie and guilty of first-degree murder in the death of Joshua Ford She was sentenced to life in prison plus 20 years BJ was sentenced to just 38 years in prison So BJ filed for divorce from Erica in prison in 2010. He's eligible for parole as of 2021, but thankfully they rejected it. Erica will be eligible for parole in 2024. While in prison, Erica's cellmates consider her the roommate from hell. They said that she goes into deep details about the murders and she allegedly told them it's fun to wear the jewelry of her victims. She allegedly told them that she has no remorse whatsoever. She doesn't feel like she did anything wrong. And they said... Erica probably killed more people. So one very chilling theory that the police have is Erica kept mentioning their trip to Chile to get Xanax. And she said that BJ and her really bonded on that trip. It just insinuated and felt like there was a lot more going on in Chile. Like they killed more people. I mean, the fact that there was no blood found outside the bathroom, it makes you think that maybe they had a process to it. Maybe they already had everything they needed, such as the black garbage bags. They had a plan, a system that they used how to clean the blood in a way that it was contained in one area. Also, in later letters in prison, Erica would refer to BJ as her serial killer X, which just reinforces this horrifying theory. Erica told her cellmates allegedly that she had to contain herself from laughing anytime her victim's families would speak out in court. Well, I hope she keeps that same upbeat energy when she gets denied parole in two years because it does not seem like she will get out anytime soon. And I hope that is a good laugh. Well, I guess never say never though because the justice system is pretty messed up. Have you listened to our Mel Ignato case yet? Maybe she will get out. And that is the very... Disgusting story of Erica and Benjamin Sifrit. It's fascinating because what some people will do with the comfort and privilege that they grow up with is just weird. She had nothing she ever needed in life. Her dad bought her like $15,000 diamond ring. She had her parents' support. They were involved in her life. They weren't just throwing money at her, they cared about her. Yeah. Maybe too much. I also think it's really strange that do you think I'm pretty? Do you like me? Like that's her go-to place when she feels like I'm backed in a corner.
0: That's so odd. How do you explain that kind of behavior?
1: I think she never really had any situation where she had to face consequences. Maybe she feels like her attractiveness and people always like her, so they never really are harsh to her.
0: Mm, So in that
1: moment where finally someone is being harsh to her and backing her in a corner, she's like, wait, 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 do you like me though?
0: Maybe like that's how she does it with the parents like do you love me yeah do you do you guys still love me though do you like me
1: oh my god i ask that all the time (laughs) what are your thoughts on this one and i will see you guys on wednesday for the main episode
0: bye